Welcome to Murder Brunch. We what? are the Murder Brunch Bunch. <laughs> I'm <Damn> Joe. Clinton. <laughs> <laughs> he just burps. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> uh. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's my stick. Barbarians. As I was saying. <laughs> Welcome to Murder Brunch. We are the Murder Brunch Bunch. I'm Joe. I'm Rachel. I'm Clinton. This is the podcast that brings you two tales of mayhem and murder, and where we discuss we're a li- oh, we're a liar. We're a, a liar. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This is the podcast that brings you two tales of mayhem and murder, and we discuss where a killer lies on the scale of evil concocted by Dr. Michael Stone. <laughs> Flawless as always. Is it? Whatever. Good enough. You we're know, our, you we're know what we're judges. talking about. That's our mantra. Good enough. <laughs> we should all get shirts that say that. <laughs> I was just thinking we haven't said in a while that uh, I, I just want to let any listeners know, know that we are not psychologists by any means. <laughs> and everything we do on this podcast is literally made up out of our own noggins. Well, just because... Or pulled out of our butts. Whatever. Or pulled out of our butts. <laughs> yeah. Um, just because, you know, we, we are fangirls of Dr. Michael Stone and everything like that. And he's a real doctor, a real, you know, criminal psychologist, but we're just <laughs> fooling around here. He's a real boy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I was thinking about that recently, that we haven't really <laughs> clarified that in a while. <laughs> if it couldn't be told, you know, like people can't tell. <laughs> well, in case someone thought we went and got our degrees between second and third season or whatever. <laughs> We've been working on it the mm-hmm. whole time, really. Doctor. 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 But here we are. What do you got there, Clinton? This is a special edition of People Magazine, a true crime unsolved mysteries edition. Ooh, see that the nun on the front? There's a really good Netflix documentary about that story. The Keepers. Yeah. And then you got Joan Bonet. I don't Zodiac. know. The, who, who's the girl in the middle at the bottom? Who is that? Teen lifeguard. I don't think I know that story off the top of my head. Me either. Hmm. Molly Bish. Oh, oh Molly yeah, Bish. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah. I recognize the name. I recognize your picture. So we're here for another brunch. I'll try not to talk with my mouth full of food. Too late. I know. We've got a lot of good stuff. We had blueberry pancakes and omelets and chocolate donuts. Chocolate donuts. Breakfast potatoes, hash browns, over easy eggs. Bacon. Bacon. Chocolate donuts. There were vegetables in the omelet. Oh no, that's funny. The omelets were the healthiest thing. I made sure they contained spinach and broccoli. Oh, asshole. (laughs) Clinton just dunked his donut in his cocktail and it's the smartest thing I've seen all day. Because our cocktail is... Alcoholic hot chocolate. Alcoholic. No, that's not going to work. Alcoholic hot chocolate. Yes, we're drinking homemade hot chocolate with whipped cream, chocolate syrup, and just a dash of <laughs> whipped cream vodka. Maybe a little more than a dash. A spill. A spill. <laughs> uh, Although, it's good. I am curious now, um, since it was brought up while we were making this, to do the dark rum in the hot chocolate. Yeah, I, my original recipe did call for dark rum, but I, I we went with a whipped cream vodka because we've had that sitting around for a while and looking for reasons to use it. And it does taste very good. We uh, also had a conversation. It's like, do you want to use the whipped cream vodka? Do you want to use the vanilla vodka? Do you want to <laughs> use this rum? Do you want to use that rum? 
But my cocktail has nothing to do with my story today. It is just the very the first cold day in our area. And so I thought I'd celebrate. And by cold, we mean like 60 degrees. 60 yeah. degrees. <laughs> it, was like, it was like 50 degrees until noon. And we're like, woo! 55. As we're sitting here, you in your t-shirt. and <laughs> Oh, no. All right. Are you ready for my story? Enough banter. Enough foreplay. Never. Yeah. Never enough. Never enough. Okay. My story today may be our most... <laughs> what? My donut got stuck in my butt. <laughs> and I couldn't dunk it. <laughs> my story today might be our most recent. The person involved has not been sentenced yet. Ooh. But he's confessed to the crime. So okay. I feel like we can we can go ahead and put him on this, on the scale. All right. Amber Hellman and her boyfriend had noticed a 1991 green Honda Accord had been left on their street for several days. This happened, this car being found, mid-October of this year. Oh, wow. So literally like a month ago. They decided to check it out, Amber and her boyfriend, maybe for parts or to see if they could find some information on who it belonged to or maybe just to grab a few things that might be in the car that they'd like to keep. Really? Yes. <laughs> I mean, it was, they felt it was abandoned on their street. So they're like, well... A free game. Yeah. But they noticed a foul odor coming from the car, and oh, the interior no. was covered in mold. Oh, gross. While checking out the trunk, they found the decomposing body of 20-year-old Andrew Sorensen. On a side note, my car kind of smells like ass right now. <laughs> but that's just because that it's not waterproof anymore. Like, mm. And it's been raining so much that now it just smells like butt. You got mildew in there. You can, you can get like stuff to help with that. I am. Okay. I got the litter. cinnamon broom. What? Cat litter. Gross. All I'm saying is that I don't have a dead body in my trunk. Mm-hmm. So sounds like, someone, sounds like something someone would say if they did have a dead body just, in their trunk. You don't even have to look. Just take my word. <laughs> you don't have to look. Just, there, Maybe we should just take a quick peek in your trunk. No, it's, just, today. it's the rain. Okay. So the first step after finding the body was to contact Brenda Cross of Spokane, who was the registered owner of the car, but her phone wasn't accepting calls. So the police go to visit Cross, and John Eisenman opens the door. He's Cross's fiance, John Eisenman. He informs the police their car was stolen a year ago, but that they did know Sorensen, the dead body. Apparently, Brenda and John's underage daughter had been dating Andrew Sorensen. And by underage, I can't find where they've listed her actual age, but I think it was like between the 15 and 17 range. So we're not talking like 11-year-old. Right, right. But anyway, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. She's still underage. Underage daughter had been dating Andrew Sorensen, and during their time together, he had taken her to Seattle, where he sold her into a sex trafficking ring. Wow. For $1,000. Wow. I've heard this story oh yes. this might be one of the few times that clinton's been on this one um and again and i'm not this i'm clinton <laughs> how's it feel amazing <laughs> you have amazing hair <laughs> and again this all happened this the the taking her to seattle and everything happened in october 2020 so we're talking about a year ago okay so yeah he allegedly sold her to a sex trafficking organization for a thousand dollars Eisenman had driven to Seattle and rescued his daughter after about a month of her being gone. So he got her at the beginning of November. That's terrifying. It's very terrifying. But he got her back, which was the important part there. Mm-hmm. Sorensen had no significant adult criminal history in the state of Washington and had not been on anyone's radar for sex trafficking. So there's no, at this time in the case, all of these allegations are just that. They're alleged, right? They're not, they're not proven at the moment, but... 
Supposedly, this is how it went down. A few days after police spoke to Cross and Eisenman, they got a tip from a neighbor that Eisenman had told him he had killed a man and left his body in a trunk. The neighbor had details that were not released to the public. Ooh. So Eisenman was arrested, and while in custody, he confessed. Apparently, when he went to rescue his daughter, he found out Sorensen was going to be in an area of Airway Heights at a certain date and time in November 2020. He met up with Sorensen there and proceeded to confront him. During the conversation, we'll call it a conversation, he tied him up with a gag and zip ties and put him in the Honda's trunk. I have a lot of conversations that go this way. I'm sure you do. Eisenman told the police that was when he repeatedly bashed Sorensen in the head with a cinder block and stabbed him several times. He then proceeded to drive the car to a remote area in Spokane County and abandoned it. Sorensen was deemed missing that month. The car stayed in that remote location until September or October of this year when an unidentified person drove it to Everett Avenue where Amber Hellman and her boyfriend found it. Eisenman had no criminal history. He was apparently a really upstanding dude. You know, he was a father. He, was, he, he held a good job. He was, I think he was part of his church, you know, stuff like that. There's not a lot of history about him yet, obviously, because this is such a new case. A quote from Brenda Cross, his fiance, John is a very selfless father, very giving, loyal, loving. He's the best father I could have ever had for my children, she said. I'm very proud of John, and I'm blessed to have had him in my life, and I want him back home. His, okay, this is, this is interesting. His stepdaughter, Ashley Cross, who I, I don't think is the girl in question here. Right. But then again, I guess because the case is so new, I'm not positive she isn't the girl. Like, I don't know. But anyway, his stepdaughter, Ashley Cross, has started a Christian crowdfunding campaign, and they've raised 52000 so far for him. So obviously, this is touching a nerve with some people. And... Police don't believe that the driver who brought the car back to Everett Avenue or Amber Hellman have anything to do with the case at this time. I think it was just a weird, not coincidence, but that happenstance that the guy found a car, drove it back, and... Left it there. Yeah. So he just needed a ride. Right. Some guy remote location. Right. Some guy found the car, and he's like, I gotta get back to Spokane County or whatever. Luckily, I know how to hotwire a car. Sure. That has a dead body in the trunk. That's the part. I mean, like, I don't know how far away we're talking. So if you were driving with a car that was distinctly smelly for a long time. Well, also, it's like, what are you originally doing in a remote location without a ride? I mean, there could be lots of answers to that question. I, I just, I don't find it suspicious either. I don't think that, I really don't think that the driver had anything to do. I think someone tried to steal a car and brought it back and dropped it off and... There's a lot of again. coincidences there. Sure. Well, I mean, what coincidences? They dropped it off in the city. One, that he, the car he decides to steal has a body in it. And two, that it gets left in a place where people find it that actually knew the person. Oh, no, they didn't. No, no, no. Amber Hellman. Oh, no, no, that's right. Yeah. You said the owners. Yeah, right, right, okay, right, right, okay. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. They okay. didn't know. Yeah, no, but, that would have been suspicious. <laughs> if they no. drop it off at, like, Eisenman's house, yeah, that would have been suspicious. But it's weird that, like, somebody is... Because they they he left the car in no man's land, right? Yeah. Okay. So like, there's somebody walking around. He's like, therefore, well, whatever reason, you find the car. You're like, okay, great. It's been there for a while. So I mean, yeah, it had been there for maybe, about a year. Maybe I guess they left the keys in it. Maybe I don't mm-hmm. know, but they somehow got it running. Then they drive it to somebody's street neighborhood yeah and then they just get out and this is where i need to go and 
thanks car check you later <laughs> I mean, yeah well, i mean especially if it was not their car they're not going to keep it if it's a stolen car you know what i mean or maybe the smell finally got to them i don't know it just seems like a really weird circumstance to me well and i think remote area is is up to suggestions like that could just be rural it could just you know what i mean it doesn't necessarily have to mean middle of the woods it you know what i mean like it could be it could just be an area that's not urban mm-hmm. so but anyway that's what the police believe right at the moment i think that's probably the case Eisenman is currently being held on a million dollar bond. So like I said, they haven't sentenced him. He hasn't gone to trial or anything like that. And that is where the story ends at the moment because like I said, it's so very new. But he killed a man. And so... Well, as, we, so we know how he killed him. Mm-hmm. We know his motive. Yes. And so I figured, Oh, no, I know why you picked this story. Well, I, <laughs> I think it would be a good discussion. <clears throat> I have a few ideas for the scale. Are we ready to discuss that, or are we? Do we have any more questions? So, just to recap, right? So, in the article, it said that his daughter was sold, right? Not Correct. his stepdaughter. His Correct. daughter. All all indication is that his daughter. And I think they've and made. A, I think they've tried very hard to to make her unidentified. And I found the stepdaughter's Christian crowdfunding campaign on a completely like on the campaign site. Okay, so that's probably because if she's still underage then they're keeping her Correct. identity secret. So they're probably two different people. That's what I was thinking. So his, and if it's it's not a stepdaughter, it's his daughter. Let's just assume that, right? Okay, from his previous marriage or relationship. Or maybe. Well, it's, it's Brenda Cross's daughter. Okay, so yeah. it's their daughter together. The one that was sold in sex trafficking? Yeah. Yes. Okay, so. So here's a guy, his, his underage daughter is dating a dude who is over 18. Mm-hmm. He takes her to Seattle, sells her for $1,000. Then dad goes and saves his daughter and then finds this dude and puts him in the trunk, beats the shit out of him, stabs him. He dies and he leaves him mm-hmm. in the in a rural area. <laughs> okay, so that's pretty much that's the whole thing. gist. And I'll, and I'll preemptively say if things come up about this case that are revealed like certain twists and turns or whatever we can update listeners right but i thought this case was very interesting for the purpose we use the scale for right and so that's why i brought it up as a story okay tell us uh well let's first uh talk about what scale we're actually discussing absolutely the scale we're discussing is from dr michael stone's book anatomy of evil where he breaks down criminality into 22 handy dandy steps the first one being category one justifiable homicide and the 22nd being psychopathic torture murderers with torture as their primary motive the motive need not always be sexual so (laughs) this case was interesting to me because it's like here we are truly deciding if murder is evil or if murder can sometimes not be evil but still bad you know i mean like there's a lot of there's a lot of weird parts to this and two of our hosts here have children. So I think we could put ourselves in the dad's shoes in the situation as far as like what might happen and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, the three, I thought of three spots that he could be in. One, I'm going to put it out there for, for people who I think would be completely on John Eisen's side and that's justifiable homicide. Their daughter was abused and assaulted and they see him in the right. And obviously $52,000 from, from, fans and people saying free Eisenman and stuff like that. There are a lot of people out there who believe that's the case. And the next one I had was six, 
which was impetuous, hot-headed murders without psychopathic traits. And I chose that one mostly because Eisenman has no history of violence. He has, you know, there's, there's nothing psychopathic about this, mm-hmm. to my understanding. And number eight, murder sparked by smoldering rage, sometimes resulting in mass murders. But that does say sometimes. So those are the three I picked. Of course, I'm open to any other suggestions. But your thoughts. Well, okay, so if this was a movie... Well, I mean, it is, right? Liam Neeson. <laughs> Everybody's going to be rooting for the dead. Yes, absolutely. Right. So so that makes a really fun plot. However, it doesn't necessarily make revenge ethically correct, right? Right. And vigilante justice has been taught to us over and over again that it's not the way to go. Right. And that he could have done other things to bring this kid to justice, as it were. Because sure. it is illegal to sell people as slaves. So, but... Also, as a parent, then I can't say that I wouldn't have done the same. Right. I, no, that's what I was thinking, too. I think another important thing to to introduce here. So, the scale, you have to decide whether it stands alone, separate from that current society's laws. Well, and, my, and Dr. Stone has said that this scale cannot be applied to, like, soldiers in combat. Right. Or there was, a, there was another example he uses in the book where it's not appropriate for that. And it may not be appropriate for this case, but we're forcing it to happen for the for the sake of an episode. Did he also say it's not appropriate to apply it to pigs? <laughs> uh, I think he does legitimately say that, so we're going to have to cancel that episode. Piggy Sue. So, um, but, so my point being, yeah. um, so we're forcing let's, them, let's think, say okay. that murder was legal. Okay. Okay, I know, is it's it, a stretch. It jump? But okay. it's, it's for the, the sake of debate then... Because we are discussing whether or not he is evil, right. not whether or not he broke the law. That's true. That is true. And so I think you have to keep that in mind when you go through this. Because, like, there's all kinds of silly things that are illegal that just because you break that law doesn't make you evil. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's worthwhile separating it from that. Because, like, let's say you did live in a place where, like... Let's say this was the Wild West and, you know, like, dueling in the streets and shooting somebody was legal. You know, that doesn't necessarily... That impacts it, you know, so... Okay. I'm not arguing that, absolutely. Yes, I guess I guess if we were to, like, hand to God, I would say John Eisenman is not evil. I don't think he's no. evil. No. Although, I mean, his treatment of another human being, even if this human being is a piece of shit... Right. ...is horrific. He didn't just shoot him in the head and be done with it. He, he crushed his skull with a cinder block and then stabbed him multiple times. Right. And that, to me, taps into a certain part of the, the psyche that maybe just a little bit more than just, I don't know, self-defense. Or Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I totally agree with you. And even though, again, this kid was a piece of shit, he was someone's son. Yeah. He, you know, his death is going to have repercussions beyond just the body in the trunk. So he couldn't see beyond that to other people's pain. Mm-hmm. There was, call it rage or, you know, temporary insanity or whatever, what have you at that moment, he did not look beyond his own pain. Right. People always say, especially in the state we live in, 
own a gun because if someone breaks into your house, you could shoot them and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I don't want to shoot anybody. Like, I don't want that on my soul. I don't, I don't want to be responsible for another person's death. I will be if my children are in danger or if my husband's in danger or if I'm in danger. If, if I have to defend myself, I will. Absolutely. But I think if I'm not ever put into that position, then I'm going to go out of my way to try to avoid it. Right? This man sought out Andrew Sorensen to kill him. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think this was a case of, hey, let's just have a chit chat and then it goes too far. Right. He he had a he had his reasons for going after him. He, he made a decision. He yeah. Oh, yeah, he made a decision. And it, was, it was it was planned. This yeah. wasn't I bumped into this person right. that happened to have sold my daughter into sex slavery and then killed him right. in a hot headed rage. So is there a certain level of evil <clears throat> if it's a premeditated murder? Because I, I would I would have to... I mean, even in the Old West, if murders happened, whether they were legal or not, I think there is something inherently evil about taking another life. I mean, yes, obviously. I mean, right? <laughs> yes. Unless it, unless it is a form of, I think, self-defense. Mm-hmm. So, like, I mean, at the time of this recording, Alec Baldwin has just accidentally shot someone on the set of his movie. Right. Like, the fact that he has to live with that for the rest of his life. Oh, yeah, horrifying. I feel I feel terrible for him. Right. And, I mean, and all the other people that were involved. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Victims, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like, if you are not, if you don't have in your core the want to kill somebody, mm-hmm. what does that mean as far as if you are able to kill somebody? Right. Well, also, it's that, okay, so what makes evil? You have these people who are born with an, an, an impulse having an impulse right mm-hmm. that they can't control so they cannot find another outlet so they you know go down that road right and then you have these people who obviously have not had that impulse before know that there's other avenues to go down know that you could call the cops know that you could do this and that and then decide yeah I'm not going to do that yeah because that's true he knew where that kid was going to be he could have called the cops and said Go and arrest him. He mm-hmm. took my daughter. He's going to be at this place in time. Yeah. I mean, obviously, being that he found his daughter, he picked her up, he knew where she was, all those things, he had certain evidence that he could use against this right. kid and whoever maybe he sold. Yeah, that's part that. of it, too, is it like, other than the initial, I've got to take care of this dude that hurt my daughter, if there is a sex trafficking ring, wouldn't you want to take down the whole thing? Like, what is, what are you... Why would you pinpoint just one person? You know what I mean? And maybe there's a part to that that's going to come out later as this case goes on. Maybe. Uh, let's go Let's go full crazy. Maybe that, that never existed. Maybe this was a boyfriend who wanted to run away with his girlfriend. And Eisenman just took him out. You know, I mean, who knows, right? Eisenman's just like, I don't want my daughter hang, hanging out with this dude. What if the sex trafficking well, that would be Well, that would make up? it completely different. I know. So that does make this uh, like a weird case. Well, right. Because so right now... Like, has it been verified that she was sold into sex slavery? I mean, I think right now it's just her account. Okay. But, I mean, but if that's what they're basing the, the case whole on. case on, I mean, you would think that there would be other, and I haven't read anything about this, there would be other people, other voices saying, no, that doesn't exist. Right. And if there's not that pushback, then... Then where are the other men of that ring that right. they could also arrest? Well, well again, it, they may not know. I mean, yeah. she doesn't know who any of those people are because I'm sure they didn't, you know... Identify themselves. They yeah. didn't identify. They probably didn't let her talk. You know, who knows what else they did to her if it was true. 
And I assume being that they are saying this is the reason this is what happened and all that is that maybe they have a basis of evidence to believe it. Well, and for the scale purposes, I thought it was most important to use his own motives. This is why he said he did this thing. Right. So that's why I decided not to say, well, I mean, obviously I brought it up in conversation, but that's why I decided not to go with the theory that the sex trafficking ring doesn't exist. Right. And stuff like that. So back then to Don Eisman and intent. Yeah. So the, the, the thing about the scale is it doesn't necessarily progress towards the number of people you kill or anything. It is more the sadistic nature of That's it. That's true. Where at the bottom, you don't even have to kill somebody to be like at the bottom of the yeah, scale or right. top of, you know, however, whichever you want to read it. So that's something to consider is the uh, tied up crushed skull stabbing. Do we really think there was a sadistic nature to this? Yes. Okay. Yeah, saying, he definitely wanted to make him feel pain, right? right? And <clears throat> again, like, there's a part of me that's like, I get it, John. Like, the right. idea of anything hurt anybody hurting my children. Right. And and with that, there are plenty of people that you can say a one-off of this guy who stalks a girl because he's obsessed with her. He's never done anything bad in his life, but he gets this obsession and then ultimately kills her. But he's only killed one person. He's never done anything else. Would we consider that evil? Yes, we would consider that evil. He did pretty much the same thing to this kid, this guy. He just happened to have... A motive that we deem appropriate. Right. Something that makes us emotionally understanding. Now, the other... If you're talking about the stalker theory or whatever, maybe he had brain trauma. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that, or, or he had a bad childhood or, or something like that. There's always, you know, okay, how many killers have we discussed that? Okay, well, they never had a chance right. because, you know, they were messed up to begin with. Everything that happened before you made the decision to kill someone doesn't really matter because you still made that decision, right? True. As, especially if it was a decision that you came to on your own and not that you were forced into. Right. I'm going to go with one. Really? I think I am. Mainly because I don't feel, well, he certainly isn't above a six because I don't think there are any real psychopathic I agree. features uh, in him. So I lean towards the, I think it was six. That's the Six, impetuous, hot-headed murders. Yeah. Um, oh, no. I actually, oh. I actually lean towards the eight because I feel like the smoldering rage is such an interesting way to put it. And I feel like this man had a month to worry about his daughter, to wonder where she was, to think about what was being done to her. And he let that drive his need to kill Andrew Sorensen. And I feel like that is why he went through with it. See, I would I would lean t- more towards eight because of he he planned it. He did it, and then he lied about it. Right. The six mm. is the impetuous, hot-headed. That's kind of right. a spur of the moment. And this was... I don't think this was spur No, no, no. He yeah. had plenty of time because they did everything that you are supposed to, right? And I do that in air quotes, right? When she went missing. Mm-hmm. They reported her missing. They went to the police and everything like that. When he found out what happened to her, and he went to go get her himself, right? At that moment, he could have gone back to the police, or he could have done something made a report but he chose not to and maybe i can understand why he didn't because the police obviously didn't help him to begin with no he found his own daughter yeah so i mean why would you go back to the people who didn't do jack shit Mm -hmm. you know but he didn't go 
the route that you quote unquote are supposed to to find justice. Right. You know? Now, here's the thing is that I do think it's more of an eight. But again, I'm going to say if it was me, I probably would have done the same thing. Yeah. But probably when the police came, I would have been like, yeah, I killed him and here's why. Oh, that's interesting. Do you think that changes where he's on the scale? Okay. If no, had, I wait, think wait, the self-preservation Amber, instinct, like we cannot necessarily fault someone for lying. Well, okay, let me let me ask you this. Christian man, right? Dad, upstanding citizen. If he had killed Andrew Sorensen and then walked into a police station and said, this is what I did. I'm not sorry for it. It felt it needed to be done. Would that be more of a one? Because then he's at least coming clean. He's owning what he did. No, I think honestly the ones are very specifically like someone is attacking you and you kill them to make it stop. Like I, as far as this scale goes, yeah. I think that's really what a category one is. Yeah. Now whether or not we feel that this is justifiable quotes, right? Uh, I think is a separate from the category one of justifiable homicide. And that's why we have you here for the analytical. Right. That's that's what I do. Because you can't justify homicide via emotion mm-hmm. well and via premeditation like i don't know if you could i don't know if there is a justifiable homicide that is planned out like you said i think it has to be in the moment you are being killed i don't know isn't uh turning someone into the police knowing that they'll get the chair just uh planned out murder well i would, well how could you know that they're gonna get the chair like that's a that's a different i think you're going down the <laughs> no, path. I, I but my whole thing with that is like if you are stuck in an abusive relationship and say that you're a prisoner in your own oh, house I see. Yeah. and the way to get out is to wait until your husband falls asleep and then shoot him and run yeah then i would say that's justifiable if that's the only way you could get out right you know you're being held prisoner in your yeah own and house. you have to make a plan yeah you know? all right so vote category eight i'm up i'm I'm convinced. I'm, I'm going for the eight. Yeah, I'm. Ha- I would say that does eight. put him in the psychopathic category, doesn't it? With uh, few or no psychopathic okay. traits. All right, so it still keeps him because I don't think he's a psychopath. I don't think he's a psychopath. Right. I think if anything, he had a uh, temporary insanity kind of thing brought on by grief and anxiety. I know and there's that. one. There, there's one towards the top, like three or something, that has to do with the trauma and stuff like that. Yeah. And I almost went with that one because I do feel like this is a type of trauma he felt. On behalf of his daughter and what he lived through with her. Oh, yeah. And finding out what was done to her or whatever, you yeah. know, and stuff like that. But it just seemed more like that category was geared towards the actual victims who are being yeah. traumatized. I mean, you can argue that he's a victim in a, in a way, but I would say more, it, it's the planning thing yeah. for me. The planning and I, who even knows, how did he find out where this kid was going to be? I, know? I think it was his daughter who yeah. told him. But I mean, yeah. Either yeah. way, uh, a lot of the articles kind of just put in quote from um, he obtained the information of where the kid was going to be. So I don't know if he beat up some other assholes to find. This has a really weird taken movie feel. Right. Yeah. And so I'm I'm curious to see where the case is going and what might also come out. Yeah. But it would be wild to find out like the sex trafficking thing was completely made up. Like that would be insane. If that is what happened, like keep your eye on it. If that's what happens when we have to do another segment on this guy because it completely changes everything. Right, it completely changes everything. Because the the sex trafficking ring thing just, it, it's such a weird little spot for me only because in my mind, yes, as a mother, I would want to fucking kill Andrew Sorensen. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, just as a person, if there are people out there who are hurting young girls, why would I want to take out one dipshit when I could help police or whoever take out a bunch of them? But if, you're poli- if the police aren't even 
finding your kid. Yeah. And you can, then obviously know. you can do more than than going to the police. Right. But killing Andrew Sorensen didn't help take down that <laughs> trafficking ring. Yeah, but it's like, okay, I can go to the police and tell them all the things I know and they do jack shit. Or I can kill this one kid. I don't know. I just feel like we're talking about like one police department. You couldn't try another police department. You know what I mean? It's just, it just seems like, I just feel like more could have been done if he had looked past his initial hurt. You know what I mean? And again, and that hurt is immense. Yeah. I, I think it's very difficult when in the situation to be sure. able to do that. Sure. So that's the only thing that kind of just sticks in my craw, I guess, is that like, who was this ring? Who was this organization? I just want to know more about that as well. And it may be one of those things where they had they had known about it. People were working on it, and it was such a you know an ordeal or whatever that they have things in place that they didn't want to mess up. Right, and it could also be you know quote unquote a ring. It doesn't have to be like an international high flying you know um, what was his face the real bad guy what was his fa- the the oh God, Epstein. It doesn't have to be like something like that. It right. could be just like four or five businessmen in this one area who are sharing underage girls. You know what yeah. I mean? Or like it, it could, could be, be like it could be like a couple pimps, right? Yeah, you know? right. But let's. But anyway, let's let's discuss. Are we are we going on eight? I guess we're going with eight. I think it sounds like we are agreed on eight with so many caveats. I know. I'll put a little <laughs> asterisk on him too. We have a couple of asterisks now, but that's okay. I'll put a little asterisk on him just for. Uh, uh, any further developments of the case. I was, I like I said, I was reluctant to do this one because it was so new, but it was such an interesting story to discuss yeah. that I really wanted to hear what your thoughts were. Now, another thing to consider. So imagine then that if Andrew Sorensen uh, was turned into the police yeah. and they cut him a deal if he could help bring down the others, yeah. how would you feel about that? Because, and again, like from the the father's perspective here, that might have been exactly what he's thinking. He's like, yeah, we can turn him in. He's just going to get off. Again, and I I don't know how I would feel in the moment, right? My children are everything to me. But at this moment in my life, I would be like, I'd rather cut a deal to this asshole to take down worse men. I just say you just need patience in that point because if they're going to cut him loose, then you can do whatever you want. Sure, you can kill him later. Yeah, Yeah. you can kill kill him later. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's a it's a tricky one. So so he's at level eight with James Rupert. Yes, um, mass murderer who is responsible for one of the deadliest shootings inside a private residence. Oh, the in Easter. US history. Oh, Easter Easter, Easter massacre. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was smoldering rage. Yeah, he was he was against his family. Yep, he was worse. Yep. Um, yes, <laughs> agreed. Um, can we just discuss one for one minute? A thousand dollars to sell your that girlfriend? So little. Like, so what little. the fuck are you need a thousand dollars for? That that's that's your plan, right? <laughs> but also, it also it makes me think this is not some kind of like elaborate businessman sex. Right. This is this just is like a, some dudes. Yeah, and, and when this was some twenty year old pipsqueak. You know what yeah. I mean? Like he just he he was just some rat that was like was finding a girl. Well, it's almost that like a deal to, to be a part of. It's almost like has he done this before? I don't think so. That's the whole thing. Like Andrew Sorensen had no record, no criminal, no. I think he had some like minor stuff or something like that, but no major criminal history. And the police never considered him as part of any kind of sex trafficking thing. So I, I think this was like the first time he had done it. He had come across some guy who was like, your girlfriend's pretty. You I'll know, give you a thousand dollars for Yeah. Her. And he's like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
no, he was a real piece of shit. I'm not, I'm not exactly sorry he's dead, but. No, I mean, there's certainly a lot of people in the world that uh, society in general could do without. But unfortunately, that's none of my business. Sometimes people just need killing. Dang, Clinton. He ain't wrong. You hardcore. So, that's John Eisenman. All right. Eight. I feel board. bad for him. I do too. I mean, it's a terrible circumstance all around. Yeah. Um, you know, I feel bad for his daughter. I hope she finds the help she needs and stuff like that. And his family. And I mean, this could be one of those cases, though, where he goes to trial and the jury is so swayed by his story that he gets like two months. There's no like that. jury yeah. that's going to convict him. Yeah. He'll get like time served or something like that. I'm more surprised that the fundraisers and stuff have raised so little. Well, it's only money. been a month. And this is just starting to hit the news. So it probably will as it grows. Are we ready for this? Yeah. All right. Ready for this? All right. Now to lighten the mood. <laughs> We are going to Norway. I love Norway. I love that you pick these countries with these. We are not going to Norway. No. We are going to Finland. (laughs) (laughs) You okay? (laughs) I apologize. Oh my god! Good start. In all fairness, if you were to pull eighty percent of Americans, they wouldn't know the difference. (laughs) Finland is the capital of Norway, right? See, that sentence sounds true to me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the time is June 4th, 1960. The place, Espoo, Finland. E-S-P-O-O. Oh, I love it. Espoo. Espoo. Two 15-year-old girls, Myla Bjorklund and Anya Maki, prepare for a camping trip. They are staying on the shores of Lake Bodum, a well-known camping spot, and they will be joined by both of their 18-year-old boyfriends, Seppo Boysman and Nils Gustafsson. 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 One of those are correct. (laughs) Pick your your favorite. I went to school with, like, Gustafsson. Yeah, they have a milk place near us, right? They they Mm -hmm. provided milk in this area. Yeah. Oh, right. I remember that. Gustafsson. All right. As far as anyone can tell, the four teens' arrival and setup goes smoothly, and they are having a good time. It is not until the following morning that anything amiss is discovered. At 6 a.m., a group of bird-watching boys, it's always boys, <laughs> always, always young ones. boys. Yeah, they're always the ones who are in places they're not supposed to be. Yep. They find the campsite. They take special notice of it because the tent seems to be collapsed and they report seeing a blonde man walking away from the scene. However, it is another five hours before the true extent of the horror would be known. At this time, local carpenter, Riso Siren, who was swimming in the lake, found the tent and the four bodies of the campers. Maki and Boisman's bodies were found inside the tent. Each were stabbed and beaten. Those were the girls? No, this was one of the girls. And her boyfriend. Anya Maki and her boyfriend, Boisman. Bjorklin and Gustafsson, their bodies were found on top of the tent lying side by side. Bjorklin, while stabbed and beaten, was also found naked from the waist down, and some of her stab wounds had been made after her death. She had gotten the worst of all the attack. 
Gustafs- Gustafsson. <laughs> How you say it? Gustafsson. Gustafsson? Well, Gustafson. assuming it's the same. Gustafsson. Gustafsson. Gustafsson um, had a broken jaw, fractured facial bones, a concussion, but his stab wounds were mostly superficial. So he was, in fact, still alive. Siren called the police, who arrived at the scene about an hour later at noon. The scene was strange, as it seemed to suggest that the attacker chose to blindly stab at the teenagers from outside the tent. There was evidence that not only a knife, but some other unidentified blunt object, which always makes me think that there was a second person. Police never found either weapon. Some objects were missing that seemingly made no sense, such as their motorcycle keys. However, the bikes themselves were not taken. Gustafson's shoes and pieces of clothing were missing as well, but later found about half a mile from the site. It would seem that the police did not handle the crime scene well. (laughs) According to local papers, they did not cordon off the site. So onlookers, nosy creepers, and just random campers walked through the area, contaminating everything. In an effort to find the missing items, the police received help from soldiers. But being that they were not trained in how to handle such situations, they just further destroyed any evidence that might be on the site. And there was also claims that the police did not formally record their findings in the, of the area. Also, the soldier thing was for nothing, as most of the missing items were never found. And the only story that they can really go off of is what Gustafson told them once he regained consciousness. He claimed that between the time of 4 a.m. and 6 a.m. on June 5th, an unknown assailant stabbed and bludgeoned them through the tent. He said that he was attacked first and so he was hit on the head first and he supposed that the attacker thought he was dead as he went after the other three so he you know passed out because of the concussion but he did say that he saw a man wearing black and bright red for 44 years he can he will continue telling his story and through small and though small details would vary from time to time he has always stuck with the main facts there were three official suspects for the murder the first was carl Valdem- Valdemar, yeah <laughs> Valdemar gilstrom he had owned a local stall of sorts that sold odds and ends for campers and hikers because of this he was known as kiosk man Oh. Though he sold his goods to campers and hikers, many reported that he was known to be very hostile towards them. Even going as far as... I throwing- fucking hate camper. Yeah. Buy my stuff. <laughs> Buy this and get the fuck out of here. <laughs> he even went as far as to throw rocks at them and cutting down their tents. Oh. What the hell? Yeah, really. Why? Yeah. Oh, I guess you need to buy a new tent now. <laughs> Many even said that they heard him confess to the crime, sometimes drunkenly, sometimes sober, depending on the story, or at least knew some intimate detail of the crime, but said that they were at the time too afraid of him to come forward to police. Hmm. It would appear that these accusations were dismissed by authorities. Nine years after the murders, Gilstrom seemingly committed suicide by drowning in Lake Bodom. Apparently, it is reported by one of his friends that right before he threw himself into the lake, he spoke to his friend about the murder. 
and asked him what he should do if he was the murderer. And his friend said, well, then you should throw yourself into the lake because you'd have you'd be going away for the rest of your life. Yeah. And then he did so. Did so. The second suspect was Hans Osman, which sounds like and spells like ass man. (laughs) (laughs) The rumors uh, were that he was former KGB. And he lived close to the lake. Unfortunately, because of these facts, he was often accused of other murders. <laughs> but Hans... He's like, I did the accounting work for the KGB. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, he's like, I was the male guy. <laughs> um, but Hans Osman did go to the Halinsky Surgical Hospital the day after the attack with black, dirty fingernails and red stains all over his clothing. At the hospital, Osman was noted as being nervous and aggressive, but apparently had an alibi for the time of the murders. And though the doctors believed that the red stains were blood, and he matched the descriptions of the blonde man leaving the scene, and inexplicably cut his hair after a newspaper article came out about the murders, the police did not pursue him. 44 years after the murder, the police did make an arrest. In March of 2004, Niels Gustafsson, Mm -hmm was arrested and brought to trial for the triple homicide. The prosecution claimed that there was hard evidence that pointed to him, such as the fact that his shoes seemed to have been worn by the murderer because all of the three victims' blood were covered, or they were covered in the blood, except not Gustafson's blood. Hmm. They also claimed that the attack was brought on by a fight between Gustafson and Boisman, how they came to that conclusion, I'm not sure. Because how would you? Like, there's no one to say that happened. Right. right. There, there's, some, there's some lawyer that said that this is probably what it went down. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they said that the fight turned physical, which accounted for Gustafson's injuries. And in a drunken rage, he killed all three. Then he tried to hide his shoes in the woods. The defense claimed that if the events of the night did play out the way that the prosecution said... Gustafson would have been too injured to do the killing and then walk a full mile to hide his shoes. Which makes sense. I mean, like, he, his jaw was broken. His He did have a massive no, like, concussion. Yeah. I mean, he, he sounded pretty heavily yeah. beaten. Yeah. Uh-huh. But it, they claimed that all of that was self-inflicted. And I'm like, I don't know if I would have the... You're going to get one of those. You could either break your jaw or concuss yourself. You're not going to be able to do But, that. I mean, you could do even it if you are finished. one thing. Right, yeah. Um, but I wouldn't even have the the self-discipline uh, or whatever to stab myself. Yeah. You know? <laughs> no, do it. <laughs> um, <laughs> just fall on it. Uh, okay. Um, Impaled on your, what is it? Hoisted by your own petard. What? You never heard that phrase? No. It's pretty famous. You've heard of it, right, Clinton? What? Hoisted on your own petard? It's like, basically like, uh, it like if you say something that it makes you look like an ass, like you're hoisted. Is it hoisted on your own? Let me, let me just make sure that I'm saying that right. Rachel's making up things again. Hoisted, hoisted on your own petard? I'm almost positive. What's a petard? It's like a spear. <laughs> I know what a petard is. <laughs> hoisted by your own petard. Yeah. Hoisted. It's a phrase from a speech of Shakespeare's play Hamlet. And it basically means that, what? Oh, excuse me. Oh, wait. The phrase's meaning is literally that a bomb maker is lifted off the ground with his own bomb? That can't be right. Yes. That can't be right. From Hamlet. You think they had a lot of bombs in Elizabethan 
times. I know, right? England. But it means victimized or hurt by one's own scheme. So, like, you you say something or you do something that fire, that backfires on you. Okay, well, now you have fully... <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> you, have, you have fully proven how smart you are. Oh, thank you. <laughs> All right. Anyway, back to this dude. <laughs> sure. He was acquitted of all charges. Yep. No other suspects have been named and no new evidence has been found. A mysterious picture did emerge after the deaths. When trying to get a detailed description of the attack from Gustafsson, the police had him put under hypnosis. In this state, he offered a very detailed description of the man who he said performed the murders. The police sketch was created. Later, a photo from one of the victim's funerals shows a man who seemed to very closely resemble the sketch. The identification of this man remains unknown. Hmm. I've heard this story before, and I never thought it was Gustafson or Gustafson. I just it, that doesn't make any sense to me. I always thought it was the the guy who ran the shop. The, like, I think the KGB dude. I think he was killing someone else that night. I don't think he was probably killing. <laughs> I anyone. totally thought that too. Right. I think he was killing someone else that night, and then that they never found. I that think body. he's just some poor KGB guy who's trying to get away from people, so he stays out there away Dates from everybody. But no, he probably did see this. Oh, and like went and poked around oh, and left. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. So he was on the site and he was just like, what's going on here? Ooh, He's like, oh, looks like a murder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then he left. Um, but yeah, the the shopkeeper or the stall guy who killed himself and was just a curmudgeon who, I don't know, hated campers. Like, I feel like it was him. I always felt it was him. It feels weird to be some random guy in the woods. Although that has happened before. Like that's that, All right, so there's like the that. police sketch. Okay. Okay. That is a... Very detailed. Distinct. But what if he was under hypnosis, he was remembering the guy from the funeral? I think it was before the funeral. It was like when they first talked to him. But I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. However, here's... here's um... We're going to have to put these pictures up on our Instagram or something so people can see them. Not that we don't... We doubt your Google search abilities, listeners. Although, <laughs> Joe's pronunciations might make it a little difficult to find. <laughs> I'm trying my best. You are trying your best. You just always pick cases that have these crazy-ass names. I, I love um, Scandinavia. Which, you know. <laughs> okay, but here is the sketch side-by-side side with the picture of Hans Assman. Which was the KGB guy. Yes. Okay. Asman. Awesome. Awesome. Oh. Well, that is compelling. Right. That is very compelling. Which I had not seen before until this moment. But oh. that is pretty. So what if Hans asked, what if it was the other way around? What if the KGB van had killed the three and the stall guy is the one who came over and was poking around him? And like the guilt of knowing about the bodies or knowing who did it or something like that. That's what made him kill himself. Maybe they were working together. Maybe they were working again, together. Again, the two separate weapons. I know. But then again, we just did a story where Eisenman used two different weapons. But he... Well, I guess so. Yeah. yeah, and it seems that it's very much like, I don't know if you guys know the term like blanket party, but like that's how this feels. Like you're uh, just what? beating the bodies in the tent. That's a blanket party? <laughs> yeah, you throw a blanket or somebody and just beat the shit out of them. I've never heard of that. Talk about hoisting on your own petard. I don't know what that is. Is that like a gay thing? No. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a country redneck thing? Is that what we're talking no. about? No. Oh, what is it? It's, it's just a thing. It's from his 
time in the gang world. <laughs> mm, is that what it was? An initiation, <laughs> A right? blanket party, huh? Yeah. Interesting. It's a boy thing. I've never, I've never oh, been a part of that. Oh, maybe it is a boy thing. Are you a boy? <laughs> <laughs> we only no. did pillow fights. Yeah, we just did pillow fights. <laughs> in fact... Since you uh, have your remote phrase that it's you pulled out remote, of Shakespeare, it's from uh, <laughs> oh, apparently more of a military thing. Okay. Oh. A blanket party is a form of corporal punishment, hazing, or retaliation conducted within a peer group, most frequently with even the military. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's that's it. Seems first, it's just someone like yeah beating the these people through yeah. the tent. Yeah, and they probably beat and, and then later stabbed. Right as they're crawling out, they get the other two, and maybe the girl who got the worst of it. Maybe she fought the hardest because Gustafson was already knocked out, you know, and stuff. So, so I don't. This is not what I actually think, but it almost like if this was the plot of a show or a movie, right? It almost seems like whoever did this to them, it was actually Gustafson, Gustafson, whatever, right? He was the main target in that they were trying to, like, because then they killed his, they killed his friends. They did really horrible things to his girlfriend. They left him, um, you know, barely alive or whatever. And then they kind of framed him for it. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, I think it's more of a random... Yeah, I mean, like... What I think happened, it's a murder of opportunity. Right, what happened to her... And we don't even know about, like, sexual assault or anything like that, because it was in the 60s. Right. So um, that stuff wasn't really that advanced, right? But the fact that she had, like, special attention or whatever, and, you know, the stabbing after she was dead and all that, that's kind of weird. Yeah, I agree. Whoever did it, though, like... I'm most curious about, like, what is the motive mm-hmm. here? Like, I, I, I honestly think it was it, like murder of opportunity. There were, I think it was some psychopath who this is took why, advantage of it. This is why I will not go hiking or camping. No, and and I mean, like, backyard maybe, but even even things happen in your backyard. But there are so many stories of people like they just come upon a random person who then just follows them yeah. through the woods. Yeah, or like. Like, there's one story where they were out hiking or whatever, and they they saw, like, someone was hiding behind a tree watching them, and they're like, we see you. Well, <laughs> I, I was just listening to this podcast. I think it's called Lost Hills. And it was um, uh, a guy and his two little kids, like little girls. They go camping with another dad and his kids. And at this particular campsite, so this is like a campsite for families. You know what I mean? Like, like lots of people are there. And apparently there had been a shooter who was just shooting randomly into tents at that time period. But the, the campsite had not notified anybody that that was going on. And so they didn't know that was happening. And they stayed there one night and this dad got shot. And his girls woke up to find their father dead, you know, and stuff like that. And so it's just weird. I don't know. There's something about camping that just gives yeah. me the willies. I mean... There's a story about Girl Scouts. Oh, yeah. That one's awful. That one's terrible. There's one, another, a dad and went camping with his daughters, very remote area, and someone murdered them. Like, yeah. remote. Like, nobody should have been there. Well, and then there's that one that just happened recently where it was the mom and the dad and the kid, and they, there's, like, thoughts that they might have been carbon monoxide poisoned and, or oh, drank yeah. weird water or something like yeah, that. Yeah, and, and they, they're all, all dead. All three are dead. Oh, yeah. We yeah, were talking about. Yeah, dog and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. So, like, I don't know. I, the wilderness is weird, and no, I don't want to be the, in it. Nobody, people shouldn't be in the woods. I agree. Let it, the animals be in the woods. 
But in this particular case, I always thought it was the the stall guy. I always thought it was the stall guy. Now, I mean, that picture with the with the sketch and the KJV, now it might be changing my mind, mm-hmm. but I don't know. That's interesting. I guess that would make more sense because the stall guy never went to the hospital that night with any kind of issues. And you figure if you're going to kill three people and attack four, some of them are going to put up some kind of fight. So you'd have some kind of injuries that you'd have to go have looked at. Yeah. I mean, there were a bunch of people who confessed to it. Yeah. Um, there was a murderer in jail. He confessed to it, but he, and he lived in the area, but he would have been 14 at the time. So everyone's like, you're full of shit. Um, but only those three really were taken seriously. But And even not that seriously, it sounded like. No. And I, I think the cops really wanted it to be Gustafson. I guess so, but... I mean, there were the police of, officers have, uh, got a lot of uh, criticism from local papers and stuff like that, how they, they handled the case from start to finish. So. Yeah. The guy killing himself, though, that's a pretty... Well, that's why I think, like, now that I've seen the sketch, like, say it is the KGB guy, I still feel like the stall guy knew something. Yeah. But the thing about the stall guy, everything that's, like, against him or whatever is really just people talking, you know? I mean, he might have been a complete ass and he's cutting down your your tent and throwing rocks at you and stuff like that. But the whole, the conversation about him with his friends right before he jumped into the lake and the fact that he uh, uh, confessed to people and stuff like that that's just all talk right there's no actual and then of course like jumping into the lake to drown yourself is also a very weird thing to do to kill yourself maybe not in finland (laughs) maybe that's very can't everybody in finland like swim isn't that a thing (laughs) i don't know but yeah i mean i guess the kgb guy has a little bit more more circumstantial evidence as far as the the going hospital to the hospital stuff, yeah. with blood stains and dirty fingers and getting your hair cut and yeah. stuff like that. I don't know. One thing that in the article that I read, which I don't, and understand. I guess having the background of as, as a KGB agent, like if that's legit. Well, I mean, okay, if that's legit, then he may have had a manic episode. Sure, like he was, and he, he was did, back in a, on a mission, or right? Something and like he that. didn't know what he was doing, and he can't remember. He may not even remember what he did. <laughs> wow. And I'm sure nobody would have understood that at that time right. either. So interesting. So one thing that I read that I didn't understand was that when um, Kiosk Man drowned, they said that that meant they couldn't get DNA samples. And it's like, why can't you get DNA samples? I mean, like he's not he's not saying no anymore. <laughs> yeah. You know? just pull him out. Yeah, I mean, like just did they leave him in the lake? No, I don't think so. He's the lake has him now. I don't know. Like, I wonder if that is some weird thing. Like, if he didn't give permission and he like, can't if he get specifically it. gave anti permission, yeah. yeah, and then you die, they still can't take. Like, That's not know. how it works in America. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't sound like us. You you go eat at the wrong pizza place, and then people got your DNA. Like, yeah, because they'll just get it off the glass or something that you left there. Hmm. Well, this has been another very interesting episode of Murder Brunch, as I'm sure you'll agree, listeners. <laughs> it's been something. Uh, I love boozy hot chocolate. We should do this more often. Yeah. I like that one. Boozy hot chocolate, not just for Sunday brunches. Absolutely. Next I'm going to have some more tonight. We can eat it. Uh, like, or Next time we can do it outside where it's nice and cool and the weather's nice. Oh, with our microphones? Yeah. No. Why? Because you have like wind and stuff go past them. It's not a good idea. I'm sorry. You know a lot of podcasts that are recorded outside? Zero, Joe. Zero. (laughs) Um, All right. 
So anyway, I only listen to good podcasts. We <laughs> we uh, we have uh, a few episodes left. This is our episode seven, I believe. I think you're right. <laughs> but we are winding down, so make sure you're catching the whole of season three. We're halfway. And uh, join us next time for more mayhem, more murder, more snacks, and boozy hot chocolate. Bye. Bye. Bye.